Hey, everybody. Uh, I want to welcome you to our live stream webinar, Through the Darkness. My name is Monty Waldron. Uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors at Fellowship Bible Church, and so grateful that you decided to join us tonight. I'm joined by Phil Herndon. Phil is uh, one of our elders here at the church. He also leads a counseling practice here in Murfreesboro called Sage Hill Counseling and uh, just does a great job helping a lot of people. So how long have we been friends, man? Wow, fifth, uh, 16 years? 16 years. Long time. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> so, so grateful. Um, we've had a lot of conversations about some of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but that's really what this is, is mm-hmm. we're, we're going to have a conversation and uh, we're inviting you to be a part of that and certainly want you to listen in as we're talking, but also you're going to have an opportunity on the latter half of this webinar to uh, send your own questions to us and uh, we'll do our best to answer. We don't have all the answers, do we, Phil? No. Um, but we are going to just try to think out loud mm-hmm. about what, what we're doing to try and uh, address some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. <clears throat> so, uh, you know what? I'd love to pray if I could. That, let me just get us started that way, and then we'll dive in. All right? Father in heaven, we're so grateful that um, you have given us such a precious gift of life and, uh, and all that comes with it, the good, the bad, the hard, the easy, the sweet, the sour, Lord, everything that we experience in life, uh, ultimately uh, those things are gifts that you use for our good. And so, Lord, help us to see what we need to see tonight. Help us to uh, discover those things that we need to discover. And uh, we ask you for wisdom that only you can give. And uh, we just... We want to know what you need us to know, and so we pray that you'd help us. Lord, I pray for every person that is watching and listening tonight. Uh, Lord, would you be doing a special work in their hearts, in their lives, uh, as we have this conversation this evening? So we thank you. You're a good father. Thank you for loving us, and we're grateful in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Phil, thanks for joining me uh, on this, and... Um, I think as we communicated to whoever got the message, it's been a hard year. Yeah. Is, that, <laughs> is that an understatement or what? You're already rolling. Already good. rolling, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. I think most of us <clears throat> find ourselves in places spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and in any other Lee kind of way that there is. Um, I think maybe in places we never expected to be. For sure. And probably also feel a little bit ill-equipped to, mm. to handle those places very well. Yeah. And so tonight is intended for us to do some in- encouragement and some equipping around navigating the, the brokenness of life and uh, in all of its forms. So um, I look forward to hearing some of your thoughts along those lines. And, and again, we really look forward to your questions. Um, honestly, you can, you can question, send questions at any time during the evening. We have a text <coughs> number. Um, let me give that to you at 615-205-4367. That's 615-205-4367. So if, if something comes to mind as we're just walking through this stuff, 
shoot it to us, and then the, the back half of this webinar will be answering those questions. So to start with, Phil, we want to basically kind of look at all that we're going to talk about tonight under an umbrella of adversity. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's plenty of it, right? We're, yeah. It's coming at us from all different directions. And probably because of our stories, we're experiencing it in mm-hmm. a lot of different ways. Uh, I did do a little bit of research uh, just to prepare for tonight and uh, got some interesting information. And, and any, it just affirms, I think, what probably <laughs> a lot of us are feeling. Um, the American Psychological Association did a study called Stress in America 2020, a National Mental Health Crisis. Mm-hmm. And here were some of their findings. Eight in 10 adults, which is about 78%, I think they say, um, they said the coronavirus pandemic is a significant source of stress in their lives. So the vast majority of us, mm-hmm. us are feeling that. <clears throat> and then 60% say the number of issues America faces is overwhelming to them. So even beyond the virus, yeah, uh, there's a lot of things that are pressing hard mm-hmm. on us. 20% say their mental health is worse than it was at this time last year. That's an interesting statistic. 20% of millions of people. Yeah. That's millions of people. Right, 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 right. Um, this fascinated me. We might think, especially because of the virus, that the greatest amount of stress felt would be by some of our senior adults Mm -hmm. or in that kind Mm -hmm. of generation. What's interesting is it gets worse (laughs) the younger we go. So uh, Generation X, 21% said that they feel like their mental health is worse than it was a year ago. And then Generation Z, 34% say that they uh, feel worse today than they did a year ago. 70% said that they felt severely fatigued, very restless, struggling to focus, lonely, miserable, and unhappy. (laughs) That's how they're describing (laughs) life right now. So the CEO of the APA uh, made this kind of overarching statement. Our mental health in North America is struggling from the compounding stressors in our lives. No doubt about it. We're having a hard time. Yeah, we're having a tough time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In addition to that, I I looked at another website, Mental Health America, and they provide screenings so that people can go online and essentially take some assessments, I'm Mm -hmm. assuming, that lets them know kind of what shape they're in. And they Mm -hmm. can actually do screenings particularly for uh, depression, for anxiety. And so uh, they they had a million (coughs) and a half screens in this last year. And they said um, in 2019, 315,000 just took an anxiety screen. Yeah. That, we don't know if they had it or not. <laughs> they just took it to find well, out. They were wondering if they did. They were. Um, I'm sorry, that was, that was in 2020. Mm-hmm. That was a 93% increase over last year. Yeah. And then in the area of depression, uh, 534,000 took the depression screen, mm-hmm. and that was a 62% increase over last year. Yeah. So there are at least a lot of people wondering mm-hmm. if they are being overcome by anxiety or certainly in a state of depression. And then lastly, um, 70% of those who 
took those screens said that uh, one of the top three things contributing to their mental health concerns was loneliness and isolation. Yeah. Well, you were telling me something about loneliness. Yeah, you know, it, it would be difficult, maybe impossible to, to, to see the raw numbers of how loneliness hands the baton to anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. what, what's the very worst punishment you can give anyone in the prison system? Solitary confinement. Mm. And so that creates anxiety and depression, just yeah. the thought of the isolation. There's a former uh, Surgeon General, Surgeon under President Obama, who said the next, the next epidemic medically, obviously he didn't, he didn't know Corona was coming, but yep. his words back when uh, President Obama was in office was that the next epidemic is not gonna be hypertension, it's not gonna be diabetes, it's going to be medical, physiological effects from isolation and loneliness. It's the next epidemic coming, he said. Wow. Wow. One of the first things he screens for is he did his own rounds as a physician. Huh. He spent more time, he said, doing case histories around how people were living before he even got to the, the organs going on. So interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, so there's a little <laughs> adversity going on. Um, just one last thing that got my attention. Um, I have heard, I don't have hard stats on this, but that there has been a marked rise yeah. in domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, self-harm, and child abuse. Mm -hmm. That if you look at any of the agencies that are at all related with those areas, they're all saying yes. it's just been a spike in a matter of months. Yes. So um, people are people are imploding or exploding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're imploding in depression. They're exploding with all kinds of violence and yeah. who knows what else. Yeah. So. Safe to say, we're all facing some adversity, um, various mm -hmm. levels of it, various kinds of it. And so for tonight, I think what we want to try and do is say, let's just, let's just say we're all facing adversity and we have a choice and that might be a daily choice, but we're going toward one of two horizons. Mm -hmm. We'll use that as a little bit of a, of a framework. And those two general horizons are relief or renewal. Um, we're making choices in response to the adversity that we're feeling uh, to try and address that adversity either by relief mm -hmm. or we're going after renewal, which that might even be a concept that's, that's hard for us to get mm -hmm. our minds around. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, renewal, uh, you know, it sounds like, I don't, I don't know, how does renewal have to do with relief? Well, relief is a shortcut uh, to huh. get relief from something, anesthesia in me of some kind, yep. whereas renewal is an ongoing daily process, very close to what theologians call sanctification, mm -hmm. or we call it marinating in what's going on, yeah. but the renewal happens through time. The neuropsychologists call it limbic um, regulation lim and limbic revision, where the brain literally begins to change through continued exposure to something positive or life-giving. Yeah. That's what our, that's how our minds get renewed. There's a Canadian um, researcher who says that neurotransmitters, which is what's in the limbic part of the brain, okay. uh, neurotransmitters that fire together, wire together. It's what's so important about community. Huh. Our minds become renewed uh, by being in the body of Christ together, oneness with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we begin to fire together as a body of Christ mm. as, we, as we are exposed to one another emotionally and relationally. Nice. And I suppose that at times all of us have faced some kind of adversity 
that has really impaired us in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it's great if we're living in community, then someone who isn't in that place can come alongside us mm -hmm. and help us walk through it mm -hmm. in a healthy, productive way. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, okay, so we've got these two horizons that we're going after. And that might even be a, a great first question for all of us to ask in any given moment when we're feeling the press of life, when we're feeling the pain of life, uh, in the midst of brokenness, we can say, in this moment, am I going after relief in how I'm responding or am I going after renewal? That might be a great question. And not only that we could ask ourselves, and we're going to say this again and again, but that, that would be a great place to start in a conversation, yeah. right? Just to say to somebody else, mm -hmm. hey, man, I'm going after some relief. Yeah. Can you help me with that mm -hmm. and uh, give me some encouragement and some guidance? Um, there's two really great biblical pictures in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I know you're very familiar with mm -hmm. both of these. I love them. Um, how about I'll describe the first one and then you describe the second one okay. and then we can interact around that just a little bit. Um, for relief, there is this description in Jeremiah 2, um, 12 and 13. And just keep in mind, this is Israel, God's chosen people. He's given them directions that would lead to a place of life. They've chosen to go their own way. Um, they've chosen to dismiss his instructions and kind of go after what they felt like mm -hmm. was going to be right or good for them. And they're confronted. They're confronted by the prophet. And God is speaking through the prophet. And here's what he says. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. And this is in the midst of some adversity mm -hmm. and even some prosperity, mm -hmm. but certainly some adversity. And here's what he says. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first one. And then they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the picture is, first of all, they've, in the midst of the press of life, they've rejected mm -hmm. God's guidance, him trying to lead them to mm -hmm. life, him describing himself as uh, a fountain of living water. And then they take their shovel and go out in the wilderness and start digging holes, hoping that those will somehow mm -hmm. magically hold water that will refresh them or renew them. Yeah. And what they find is those cisterns are broken and the water just seeps out mm -hmm. and they can't ever really have their thirst quenched in yeah. a healthy way. So in my mind, that's a great picture of going after relief. Oh man! It, yeah. it promises high mm -hmm. and delivers nothing and, <laughs> of and real is, substance. And is built on self-effort and self-will. Yeah. Not waiting for God's provision, not relying on him, but going out and doing something on my own. You dig and dig and dig and dig. Yeah, and yeah, dig yeah. And yeah. Real human. <laughs> for sure. Not uncommon, but yep. it, it really is such a picture of how scary it is to wait for the deliverance of God, to wait for the comfort of God. Yeah. And as opposed to, hurry, I got to get busy doing something. And yeah. sometimes I get busy when I'm actually doing my busyness in and of itself is providing the relief. Yeah. And what I'm getting after in my business, I think, is more life than renewal is. Because renewal is so scary to wait for. It is. It doesn't happen on my timetable. Yeah, yeah. So describe the picture of renewal that we have. Same 
Same book. Jeremiah. Same prophet. Same yep. people. Same problem. <laughs> yep. Uh, he really, um, you've outlined two verses here, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, and 7 and 8 obviously comes from the ones above it. And he, above where he starts with verse 7, he talks about, he shows a picture of someone who is cursed or who that word means to be hemmed in. Hmm. Someone who's hemmed in is someone who does what Jeremiah 2 is talking about, their yeah. own self-effort. Yep. And then verse 7 and 8, blesses the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Mm. And that is so, so rich, so many principles in there. Mm. But, you know, it, it's talking about full blown, full grown trees take a while to grow. They sink their roots into the divine supplies. The old, the old theologians uh, called in Jeremiah's telling them, look, here are two pictures. One of them is you rely on your own strength, your own self-effort, your own seeking of relief, mm -hmm. and you're going to end up trying to live in a place that's uninhabitable. Uh, you won't make, you'll be in the margins. You'll be in apathy and hemmed in and the, behind the curse. You'll be living somewhere that's not fit for life. Mm. Or if you will trust in him who takes longer than you probably want him to, he certainly sure. does longer than I want him to, yes. yeah. he will provide the renewal that you're looking for mm. Uh, and it's going to have everything to do with verse 9 that says the heart is deceitful. Who can cure it? And the answer in verse 10, the Lord does that mm. by testing the mind and testing and, and examining the heart. Yeah. And so these, the, uh, Jeremiah, it's almost like he, he says, okay, 15 chapters ago in the way we have it, at least 15 yep. chapters ago, I talked about this. Let's do it again. Let's make one more run here right, right. and see that, that you're still doing your own self-effort, seeking that relief. But there yeah. is another way. It just costs you having to be afraid while you wait on God's timing. Yeah, and isn't that That's hard? Oh. So hard to wait. Yes. Interesting, we're in this season of Advent. Isn't it, though? A season of waiting <laughs> in the darkness yeah. for the light. Uh -huh. uh, such a great, uh, such great timing um, for the stuff that we're talking about. So, um, so tonight, what, what we are trying to do is think about navigating through brokenness. Mm -hmm. We have these two big questions of in the midst of adversity, am I going after relief or am I going after renewal? Mm -hmm. Now we have two pictures, one that uh, describes relief, uh, a broken cistern that can't hold water. It can't nourish me. Um, if anything, it might just distract me for a very short time mm -hmm. and then I'm going to be right back in the same mm -hmm. place that I was to begin with. Or we have this picture of a tree with deep roots running into living water, which allows me to bear fruit. Yeah. And uh, those are so helpful, again, in our conversations with one another. Mm -hmm. We can really describe vividly mm -hmm. not only what it is we're feeling, but what it is we're going after. Yeah. Um, and you and I have done that over gallons of coffee yes, across we the have. 16 years. <laughs> Indeed, and it's been very, very yeah. helpful. Um, Okay, so here's an idea to transition us into this next um, point of discussion. Um, it's, it seems to me that when I'm pursuing relief, that that can involve a, a variety of refusals. Mm -hmm. um, another way I might think about that is just I've got my own strategies for coping with life right. that I learned a long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. And they make all the sense in the world in the moment, yeah. but they just don't ever lead me to life. Mm -hmm. So you've talked a lot about um, 
a, a, a response of refusal. So tell me more about that. We'll put some of these statements up on the screen okay. and uh, help us understand when we're going after relief in the face of adversity, mm -hmm. what does refusal look like? Yeah, there are four real simple words that we're pretty common to our language, but really what refusal is, refusal says, it's a really is a picture of Jeremiah 17, five and six. I'm going to hem myself in, I'm gonna get behind a wall and mm -hmm. I'm not going to move out here to wait for this renewal or to rely on God. It's gonna be about my efforts to make my own life but in my, if I'm going to use my efforts only, I'm going to have to put away my heart in order to do it. Hmm. Um, and so real quickly or kind of briefly, the first one is resignation. Resignation says I, I will not care. That's a very powerful uh, weapon to keep the heart at bay. Resi people who are resigned say you, you can't make me care. I'm not going to care about life. I'm going to go to sleep, maybe literally. I'm going to go to sleep on everything. If I'm, I'm going to, I, I, this is my lot in life. This is your lot in life. It's terrible. It's probably not going to get any better. So why bother? Why show up in life? Why go after anything? Why continue pursuing relationship? Why reach out? Mm -hmm. It's not going to go anywhere anyway. So I, I refuse to care. I will not care about life. And if I don't care about my life, I cannot care about yours. I can't. Mm. And so resignation says, I don't care about anybody's life. It's very close to words like apathy, depression, uh, fatalism, fatalism for sure, yeah. ongoing pessimism, cynicism, yeah. like all those words. And a thing about a person that lives in resignation, and if you know someone like this or you're attempting to be in a relationship with someone like this, it's impossible. People who live in resignation are always on the lookout for people who are passionate, for people who hope. Hmm. So they can shame them back into resignation. Wow. Uh, people who live in resignation cannot stand passion. Yeah. They can't stand to be around people who are really wanting something and willing to really go for it. Huh. People who resign go, I quit. Yeah. You need to quit too. Because huh. you're reminding me there's a life out there with Christ to have. Wow. Uh, and I'm, no, I yeah. want I want the power of making my own obstacle where I don't have to come out and play. Hmm. So resignation okay. is powerful. Compromise is, um, we, we, years ago, this phrase codependency was coined. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like codependency. Compromise says, I will, if you will, meaning if we're in a compromised relationship, we have disagreement, sometimes even silent. Like there's some subjects I'm not going to talk about. And then in return, there's some you don't talk about. And we're going to talk about it in code language. Like, you know, that thing, <laughs> that situation. Uh -huh. you know, we don't use dirty words like lie, you know, that, things like that. Yeah. Like we, but compromise just says we're, we, we dance with each other huh. and we stay away from certain things. Stay away from transparency or being authentic. Uh, but I'm a really good guy. I'm really entertaining. I'm, I'm mm. funny. So I'm going to be, my job, I'll be funny. And then you do your thing in response to that. We're really not going to get down to what's really going on. Hmm. So we just do this series of deals relationally. Because okay. marriage, that's a marriage killer, by the way. Wow. Just things we're not going to deal with and things that we are and yep. that, that, that whole deal. Yeah. Uh, cowardice is really, it's, it's a harsh word. Cowardice really has to do with just disappearing. Like a, a coward in the military is a person that, leave, that leaves his troops, leaves his people behind. And a cowardice just says, hey, when it gets really tough, like I disappear, the the scary meeting or the scary relationship issue we're wanting to work through, a person who who operates in cowardice will disappear, will not speak, will try to get small, will stay away from talking about the hard subjects. 
Mm -hmm. If you want to push that person into deeper intimacy, the person changes the subject, disappears. I think a big term here is ghosting. The yep. cowards will be ones that would ghost a relationship rather than show up and deal with things head on okay. or stay in it with us. somebody else, struggle. Yeah. Uh, they just go away. So let me ask you something, because resignation and cowardice sound similar, mm -hmm. but it sounds like in resignation, I, I just literally, it's not worth it. Yeah. And there's something in me that really believes that it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. It sounds like in cowardice, I actually do believe that it's worth it. Yes. I'm just not willing to yes. bear the pain of yes. going after it. That really says that really well. It's really, that that's right. right. Yes. Okay. Uh, defiance is, you know, I, I will not need. And we talked about this in, in region in this room about a month ago. And if you look at, at the story in Genesis 4 of Cain and Abel, hmm. um, you know, Abel offers an offering. Abel, uh, Cain offers an offers an offering, and God is it's Abel's is acceptable, and Cain's is not. Mm -hmm. And God speaks to Cain and says, "Hey, sin's crouching at its door, have its way with you. You must master it. You look look that up as like you must face what's going on." Mm -hmm. And so I told the group earlier, uh, Cain practiced defiance because here's the thing: Cain looked at Abel. Cain listened, looked at God, so to speak. Cain looked at Cain. I'm sorry. Cain looked at his offering. Cain looked at Abel. Only, only guy he didn't listen, look at it was himself. Mm. Cain would not look at himself mm. at his own sin. And so defiance says, I will not be needy because when I look at myself, not my ego, when I look at how needy I really am, how prone to these other three I really am, I'm, I'm real aware of how needy I am. And so I can really easily commit the sin of Cain by being unwilling to look with vulnerability. Um, so often I go, nope, I will not look at that. You, you cannot make me need. I'll do it myself. Mm. And that's how we end up digging cisterns. That's how we end up being yeah. behind the obstacle. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that you use that word vulnerability because in, in, it seems to me like all four of these are a way mm -hmm. to get around vulnerability. Sure. They're different strategies. Mm -hmm. I remember with my kids who were all four very different mm -hmm. in terms of just how they responded to life, how they responded to me and Kimberly and all that. But um, some of those responses looked maybe a little more righteous or a little more, For sure. you know, sweet or whatever than others. Uh -huh. But they were just different strategies. Mm -hmm. They were just kind of self-willed strategies to try and get around just being needy, vulnerable, and, uh, and helpless. Yeah, you know, this is a, a brief little digression, but if you look at those four ways of refusing the heart there are four primary roles in a family that children will undertake okay and and we, like the comp the hero child is full of compromise hey man i'll cut deals <laughs> i'll do whatever <laughs> be whatever the negotiator oh for sure the coward i will not be exposed the lost child huh. lost children will literally disappear up into their rooms yeah. and never hear from them yeah defiant the scapegoat children oh no uh -uh. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and then resignation, I will not care, is very often, this is a funny way of examining this, but uh, a mascot child who's paid, sometimes a mascot child, he doesn't care, he just says whatever because he's uh -huh. hilarious. Yeah. And so it's funny how the mascot, the hero, the lost child, and the scapegoat can be seen in these four, like wow. four kids, four different roles, four yeah. different ways of dealing with stuff. Yeah. So I'm just going to pause for a second and say, parents, um, your kids face adversity. And just that right there is so helpful 
um, I, you know, I, I didn't want to tell my kids what they were or what they were doing, but I wanted to ask a lot of questions, yeah. hoping that they might be able to discover mm-hmm. what they're doing, their, mm-hmm. their coping mechanisms uh, of living in a broken world, and kind of discover that together. So yeah, that's you, helpful. Yeah, you, you, the, the lost child is going to have to be pursued in a different way than the deal-cutting child. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so we've got these forms of refusal, and just like the one who goes out and digs their broken cisterns, mm-hmm. they're going to get something uh, for their effort. Yeah, <laughs> indeed they are. Yeah, so <laughs> let's look at outcomes yeah. for uh, living in this place of refusal. Yeah, for living in, and by the way, people sometimes ask, you know, and do the talk about this, you know, can you do more than one? Like, oh man, yeah, I do all four <laughs> multiple times a day. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know for sure. But you, you generally speaking, you'll have a major role you had growing up, and generally speaking, you'll really practice one of these more than the other. Uh-huh. The outcomes are the same regardless of which one is the primary one. The body in control. What that means is 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 digging my own cistern or being behind the obstacle. Um, my body will start calling the shots, and the body calls the shots through stimulation. And the human body is stimulated in four places. We stimulate our brains. Like I can just learn enough hmm. to dig a really good cistern. <laughs> okay. our, our bellies. I can eat enough to where I have a good time digging my own cistern. Yeah. You know, it feels good. Comfort food. Yeah. Uh, in, in our uh, sex organs, I can act out sexually. I can have enough sexual experience yeah. uh, to where all this goes away. And yeah. then skin stimulation. Skin stimulations are, are, are high risk things like excessive working out. Uh, affairs, um, secrets of different kinds. Those are the things that stimulate the skin, pushing the envelope. We used to call them adrenaline junkies. Uh Uh, People with gambling addiction uh, really ride on that skin stimulation. They day traders back in the day trading days. So body is in charge seeking stimulation, which creates a reactive brain. We're made to have our minds engaged. Mm -hmm. We're, We're made to respond emotionally and a reactive brain is we react physiologically. We react with rage. We can react with depression. We'll talk about in just a minute. We can react with um, uh, even our bodies showing GI distress, hives, shallow breathing, increased core temperature, all symptoms of anxiety. Wow. And it can go with depression as well. So the brain becomes reactive, and we, we end up living very functionally like we have PTSD. That's how PTSD, classic PTSD people live always hypervigilantly looking for danger. Yeah. And so when the brain is reactive and we're, we're constantly seeking some kind of stimulation, the brain reacts rather than the mind responding hmm. emotionally and spiritually and relationally, yeah. which leads to the outcome of that is an elected heart. And uh, anyone watching who has a social work background or work, work with uh, uh, abused children will know that the, the harshest form of abuse is neglect. And so the heart becomes abused through not being attended to because the body seeking stimulation in this red hot brain is always looking for danger. And so we're, we really end up lo- living way more like reptiles than humans, mm. you know, seeking to get my, my brain and my body settled down by, yeah. by controlling my external environment. Yeah. And that's what that stimulation seeking, I'm, I'm living from outside in. So isn't it strange that life presses in, we feel vulnerable, mm-hmm under the umbrella of adversity. So we go after relief and what we actually end up doing is just spinning ourselves into a, a worse place than they, we were to begin For with. For sure. And, uh, and I'm, I'm imagining that 
folks that end up in any kind of addiction um, and you know there's a hundred right mm-hmm. um, that's really mm-hmm. that brain reactivity for sure we have found some paths that offer us very momentary relief mm-hmm. but it just doesn't ever last no. doesn't ever pay off okay well let's let's shift now we've we've tried to see a little bit of the downside that pursuit of relief let's shift our attention over to how we might address that neglected heart yeah um i remember gosh man one of the first verses i heard somebody talk about and teach was around the heart it was guard your heart or keep your heart Mm -hmm. with all vigilance Mm -hmm. or diligence Mm -hmm. for from it flow the springs of life yeah and so it, it was this idea, this message of great intentionality around protecting that heart and making sure that it's functioning in the healthiest possible way. Um, then much later, uh, I heard someone talk about the connection between the emotions that I feel and what's happening in my heart. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I I think I had one emotion. I was just mad. (laughs) Well, I was mad or glad. Yeah, yeah, too. Real simple. (laughs) And um, I I really had no awareness about my internal world. And therefore, I really couldn't talk about my internal Mm -hmm. world. And I know, especially in the context of marriage, I know for a long time, Kimberly wanted so much to know what was going on in here and I didn't want to talk about it but I'm not even sure I could talk about it right right. I was just I was stuck so uh some of what you're about to share was so helpful for me to begin to get some language and some meaning Mm -hmm. that was understood shared Mm -hmm. language and meaning so that certainly with my wife with my kids with my friends uh, and others, we could begin to talk about matters of the heart and uh, in a real meaningful <clears throat> way. So can you take us through uh, some feelings here? We'll start with that. Yeah, you bet. I, I wrote in the front of my Bible, I don't know when, Dr. Crawford Loretz. Many people know him. Oh, love Crawford. This is one of the great quotes I've ever read. He, he said, you've not preached the scriptures until you've put them in emotional context. Hmm. All scripture has heart for its context. Wow. Well, I wrote that so you know, a long time ago. And yeah. you know, that, that book is, is full uh, of human emotion. And yeah. every page between Genesis 3 and basically Revelation 20 mm-hmm. is, is a struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, people struggling and struggling and struggling. And God in his grace has given us a, a language to, to express the heart to one another and you know, we, I've said it before, I've said it from up here before, you know, we have treated uh, very large men, uh, you know, who play pro sports and, and those eight words <laughs> render them uh, <laughs> utterly speechless, yeah. paralyzed. We've had two guys that I remember in the last several years who have fainted uh, when asked to talk about one of those Wow! in, in the floor. Fainted. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're powerful words yeah, and we, we spend, we've just talked about four forms of refusal and three outcomes. We humans spend a lot of time making sure we never have to feel those hmm. through relief and through, and through um, cisterns yep. and refusal. Yep. Uh, therefore, 
the very mention of these words becomes scary. And, and you said it beautifully, like we, we've got a common language mm-hmm. that we can express the, the contents of the human heart. I've worked with two different guys in Japan who are ministry over there. And, um, you know, they've both mentioned that they grew up there and their culture had said, don't do whatever you have to do uh, to not have to deal with those. And both mm-hmm. of those men uh, have said to me, not just not the eight words, but what, what how they have read the gospel through the filter of heart versus just brain and learning things has been phenomenal for them. Wow. And you know, they're really swimming upstream in their churches, according sure. to the two of them. I'm sure. So the there's a anecdotal evidence abounds to a how scary those are, yep. and therefore b how essential it is that we develop an ability to speak from those things and speak those things to one another in relationship. So yeah. I'll run through. Yeah, give us a sense of if I were to say, hey, I'm angry, yeah. what do I mean? And uh, again, that, that way we have a shared understanding okay. and we can say those kinds of things to one another in the context of community yeah. and really get somewhere. Okay. All right, take them one at a time. So anger, uh, anger gets a bad rap. <laughs> yeah. yes. what, ang- ang- what anger really is, anger is the feeling I have in me that lets me know that I care and what I care about. Hmm. Like ang- I'm angry about things that matter to me. Yeah. And often, um, you know, anger has only anger has meant rage. It really has nothing to do with, with each other. But what anger is in its, this form is something's happening in my life and I want it to be different. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even mean that the data is is accurate necessarily. It just means in my humanness, something's happening in my life, maybe adversity, and I have feelings about it that I want it to be different because yeah. I care about something. And that's yeah. what anger lets me know. Okay. Uh, you and I share an allegiance to a particular college football team. Yes, we and do. We talked earlier today like, man, <laughs> I'd have been really scared and been angry had we lost his number one quarterback in the entire country who yes. signed today at oh, Oklahoma, right? Yeah. And so we care about that team. And yeah. so we have anger when something goes awry with them. Yeah. Anger. And can I just throw something in here? This was, this was very helpful for me when I think about these emotions and just taking anger. Uh, as a res- I just heard it described as a dashboard. So like the dashboard of your car, mm-hmm. it's just gauges yeah. that are just telling me what's going on under the hood right. or how fast we're going. or the, yep. It's just giving me information mm-hmm. about what I can't see. Indicators of what's happening inside. Yeah. So that's super helpful because then at that point, I'm not trying to decide, should I feel anger, sadness, hurt, or whatever? Mm-hmm. I'm just going, I do. Mm-hmm. And I probably ought to figure out why. Yes. Is that fair? Yes. What okay. Is up? All right. So sadness. Sadness. Uh, sadness. We, we're all, that is the single most universal feeling and probably the earliest feeling people have maybe is sadness because life is a long series of loss. Almost everything I do involves a loss somewhere else. Hmm. Uh, And so sadness is what honors relationship. I told my church in Texas, you know, people say, hey, when I die, don't you cry or or grieve. I said, boy, don't don't you think about it. I hope people just cry loud when I die. Oh, man, bring your neighbors. Uh Uh, You know, but sadness just says something that has mattered to me Hmm. is no longer here. And uh, well, that can be basically think of it in terms of nouns. I can grieve the loss of a person, a place, or a thing. Mm. You know, it's like I, I grieve relation. I can have relationship with pets, relationship with places, relationship with, with people. Yeah. And uh, when I lose, and here's another thing too. Here's what we know. In human terms, earthly terms, we intuitively recognize 
no relationship ends well. Hmm. You can have the greatest marriage in history, married 80 years, somebody dies. Yeah. And so the, the greatest of relationships, uh, they're all going to end, in terms of earth, yep. they're going to end badly because of death. Yep. And then somebody doesn't want to, doesn't like me anymore. Somebody moves away. I mean, they're all, so we, we, have, we have many ways of loss in humanity yeah. that we suffer. And so to honor loss, to honor what was that will be no more, mm-hmm. or to honor what never was that I wish would have been. Hmm. Uh, it's so important to be able to, be able to grieve loss yeah. uh, and to recognize the importance of people, mm. places, and things. So helpful. How about hurt? And hurt, hurt is a, a woundedness. The word literally means to pierce or to bore through, like with an auger. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it hurt says, uh, I can be wounded relationally. People can say things, do things, fail to do things, fail to say things to me, and I feel hurt. I have, I have woundedness in it. Something super interesting about that. We talk about the limbic brain, the emotional part of the brain, so yep. to speak. Yep. Um, they discovered when spectrometer scans came out, I think it was in the 70s, maybe, or 80s, uh, with see these brain scans where the part of the brain lights up. Yeah. Turns out, think about the English language. When we're describing emotional hurt, I'll say it broke my heart, stabbed me in the back, punch in the gut, hmm. uh, broke my heart. We have all these euphemisms that describe something that would be very physically painful. Uh-huh. It ran over me like a train. Well, that would hurt <laughs> for a <laughs> yes, quick second. You know, it stabbed me in the back. Well, that would hurt. Yeah. And, and so spec scans became... Uh, a thing in, in uh, medicine. And what they discovered was is inside our brains, our limbic brains, physical pain and emotional pain are located in exactly the same place. Hmm. And so if I walk over there and just kick you in the shin, your limbic brain goes, ouch. Yeah. And if I betray you, hurt you deeply because we're friends, your limbic brain goes, ouch, and doesn't know the difference between the two. Hmm. So opiate addiction, for instance, People take opioids for physical pain relief, and they take opioids in an addictive manner for emotional pain, too. Uh, Receptors are the same. And yeah. so this is an incredibly important feeling to track. Yeah. You know, when I'm wounded emotionally, I'm going to have a real response internally. It's woundedness. Hmm. I've been, been wounded badly. Mm. That's great. Uh, loneliness. You know, lonely is, is uh, our indicator that we're, we're made for relationship. You know, the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks, this guy, you know, it was like perfect environment, perfect weather, no traffic, no deadlines, no boss, nobody messing with him. And the guy risked his life to get back to Memphis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and we watched that movie. No one went, well, he's crazy leaving that place. We all went, man, I hope he gets home. Yeah. How come we want him to get home? Because we know loneliness. Huh. And, and, you know, he, Wilson, the volleyball becomes his friend and is like, oh, I would so do that. I would totally get a relationship with a volleyball if I had by myself. We all knew it. Yes. The movie sold millions of tickets because we knew intuitively, oh, totally. It can be the greatest environment ever. But if I'm not with the people I love, if I'm not home, I don't want to be there. Wow. I want to be with the people I love. Yeah. So loneliness lets us know we're made for that. Uh, fear, fear is another one that kind of gets a bad rap. You know, fear, all fear is, is um, a recognition that I could be in danger. It's like yeah. there's something dangerous could be happening mm-hmm. here. And we, I've said it a thousand times, region people will chuckle if any of them are watching this. That, you know, no one wants to fly with a fearless pilot. Like, you know, I, no I, I want that pilot to check things out. <laughs> I want him to have appropriate fear that if he doesn't look that thing over, that yeah. it, it could crash. Yeah. And so all fear says I could be in danger and I need to cry out for help. There's an old saying that children aren't afraid of the dark. They're afraid of the dark alone. 
Hmm. So when they cry out alone in their rooms and mom or dad come to the door, they're fine. Yes. You know, so fear just says, help, help, help. Yeah. I could be in danger. There's a monster under my bed or something outside the window right. or whatever. Right. So fear is very primitive and very important. Yep. Uh, let us not be in danger. Guilt. Uh, guilt is a feeling that lets us know that we have crossed a line to cause harm. Okay. Uh, cause harm somebody. It, it can be. Uh, you know, something simple. It can be something very complex, but guilt just simply says, hey, I'm really capable of crossing lines and harming other people, causing real harm, and I need something in me that lets me know I've done that, and guilt is what lets me know that. Okay, so I'm, guilt is the emotion that I feel when I have crossed that yes. line. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the indicator. Mm -hmm. I've done that, and then I'm going to respond somehow to that feeling. Yes. Okay, great. Yep. And shame is kind of a first cousin. It's real similar, but it seems to be. But shame, healthy shame. I have a friend who says, uh, who uses the phrase unashamedness for that word there, for healthy shame. Okay. Shame just says, I, I need a lot of help. I don't know how to do everything. I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. I'm limited. Yeah. So, man, I need help. Yeah. It's what uh, allows a professional to make a referral. It's what allows a, a, a pastor to get asked a question and go, hey, I don't know. Yeah. And uh, you know, and, and, and all across all walks of life, but healthy shame just says I'm limited. I need a lot of help. Uh, I've never really lived before. God gave me this life to live, uh -huh. and so I need help in this. Yeah. So healthy shame says, Yeah, man, I'm. I don't know everything. Is that related to humility? Are those pretty closely related? That's a preview of coming attractions. Well, how about that? Wow. Okay, you You're, think I looked ahead or something? Well, maybe. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, humility is is an outcome of of doing shame well. Huh. Great. Uh, yeah, humble, humble people experience healthy shame Okay. and act accordingly. Love it. And then gladness. And then gladness. Gladness, um, here's what, let's talk about what gladness isn't. Uh, gladness isn't a goal. Like if I'm living to try to be glad, mm -hmm. I'm going to be over here in cistern world. Yep. I'll be over here looking for relief. I want, I want glad, I want glad, I want glad. So get, get me something to make me glad from outside in. Okay. True gladness, this sounds kind of crazy. True gladness is an outcome. It's a it's a recognition of well-being, even in the midst of adversity. Mm. Be, be, can be glad, and yeah. I suffer a death, and people come to me, and I've, as have you, Monty. I've been in lots and lots of houses of people who have lost loved ones, and almost every time we've sat in and we've told stories, cried, laughed, mm -hmm. remembered, yeah. and almost every single time a person will say, "I'm so." glad you came yeah. and they're going back off the ports they're going back into nothing's changed mm -hmm. their loved one is still gone yep. they're still going to be by themselves that night but what has changed is they've been they've walked through their feelings through these stories about the person that they love who's no longer here yeah. on earth and they're they have a sense of gladness of being seen and known and cared in for. that context of relationship of, mm -hmm. of real community yes that's great so gladness is an outcome of that okay sense of being so let's, let's keep moving here. We've got these feelings, and when we feel them, or when we see them on the dashboard mm -hmm. and it lights up, mm -hmm. then we have some different directions that we can go, sort of like that relief and renewal yeah. direction. So I'm going to bring up the next two, and then if you can kind of contrast yeah. those two okay. with one another. So we've got impairment on one side and gift on another, mm -hmm. and it I, my understanding is how we respond to these uh, these feelings that we're feeling yeah. will take us to one of these two places. Yes, that middle column are our dashboard lights. And yep. so I'm going to give you three initials, um, I-E-E. -E. 
I stands for identify. The first E is explore. The, third, the second E is express. And so we talk about doing anger well. What we're talking about is, you talked about a common language, Monty. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, I have a, we'll just start at the top. I feel something. What is it? Well, I feel angry. I didn't, okay, there's my identification. I feel angry about something. Then explore it. Like, well, what am I angry about? Yeah. Well, I'm angry I didn't get to have coffee with money this week. I, I wanted it, and I didn't get it, and I'm angry. I yep. want that to be different. Uh -huh. If I will deal with that feeling and express that feeling, I get this gift called passion. Now, passion, the, the word gift there, maybe we could even substitute the word outcome. The okay. outcome of identifying, exploring, and expressing anger well. Mm -hmm. is pa passion means pain because it's painful to care. Hmm. So when I'm angry about something, I'm invested in something enough to feel angry about it, it's yeah. going to be painful. Yeah. Uh, but people who are willing to deal with pain are people who really show up in life and go and go after it, mm. and go after a relationship. Yeah. So it's painful. If I don't do that, if I am not going to, I won't feel fear. I'm not going to feel this. We'll go into an impairment or a condition called depression, which means to depress caring. Mm. People who are depressed, people they often say, well, I'm sad, but I'm depressed. That's Yes. Uh, but depression doesn't come from sadness. It comes from anger. It is depressing caring. Depressed people say, I don't care, and you cannot make me care. Mm. Can't talk me out of it. Can't talk me into it. Like, I, I, I will not care. Yeah. And then more like resignation. So anger says, I do care. This is what I care about. Depression says, I'm going to depress that. I will, not, I will not have the vulnerability of pain. Mm. Stay away from it. Yep. So sadness, uh, this wonderful gift called acceptance is this kind of goofy little saying that we've said for a long time that acceptance is uh, it's not okay and it's okay too. Mm -hmm. Like it's called integration. I know when, when my dad uh, died, um, he had been gone about from the earth about two months and uh, Luke was playing uh, baseball, of course, and uh, he hit his first home run. And, uh, man, the thing left the bat, I thought, boy, how, how far is that thing going? It was a missile. He, he, wow. he killed it. Yeah. So he rounded home. It was summer league, informal. So the guys are all bouncing up and down and stuff. I went back to the first base coach's box. I reached in my pocket and grabbed my phone to call my dad. Wow. Uh, who had been gone from the earth for about eight weeks or so there, about that, uh, something like that, maybe a little bit longer. And all of a sudden, it wasn't okay again. Mm-hmm. So it's not really okay he's gone and it's integrated into the story. So it's okay. God's got this. Yep. But, but when I picked up that phone to call him and tell him, hey, man, your grandson just hit his first home run mm. and he wasn't available for the call. Yep. He was gone. All of a sudden in my sadness, I was like, oh, this is really not okay again. Mm. Um, so that's kind of an idea. of step. If I don't deal with the sadness, i.e.e., I get into self-pity and self-pity, it's pouting. It's one of my favorites, actually. It's so powerful, you know, to pout. <laughs> Somebody come get me, rescue yeah, me. But yeah. self-pity just says, I'm not going to do sadness. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to say this is not okay and it's okay. So you take my sadness. You, you make me okay, money. Mm -hmm. I've lost something and I'm yeah. feeling sorry for myself. So you do something, say something, give me something, appease me with something yeah. that I don't have to feel sad. Yeah. So self-pity is what pouting says. Hmm. Very powerful. Yeah. Let me just pause for a second um, for a couple of things. One is I, I'm hoping as you're listening that you're starting to identify how you're responding to adversity and also maybe seeing some of those strategies that you might be using in any one of these situations. And I, I love the IEE. -E. Um, this is the language that we can use with each other 
as we're discovering mm. what's going on and, and w- what we're doing about it, we can start to put that into words that we can have an, a shared understanding once again and then help one another yeah. in the midst of adversity Man, yeah. and go after renewal yes. and experience life. Yes. So keep, keep going. Okay. Uh, loneliness, we've talked about. Uh, intimacy, we are intimacy seekers. It's really scary and vulnerable, but mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry, I skipped hurt. I'll go back to that. Uh, loneliness, we, we seek intimate relationships uh, with people. Into me see is a way of understanding mm-hmm. that. And then if I don't do my loneliness, I'll fall off in this territory of apathy because loneliness, solitary confinement, ends up being, I'm without, the word means without pathos, without pain, apathy. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, I'm just, I'm not going to do this pain anymore. I'm mm-hmm. not going to care. Very similar to depression. Yeah. Uh, jump back up to hurt. We talked about it being the vulnerability feeling. Um, the gift of hurt is courage and healing from the wound that we've had. Courage is a, the root word of courage is core, a French word that means heart. And so we get our hearts back through encouragement. And how do I get that? It's going revisiting the hurt for reconciliation and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. As opposed to resentment, which is a rescinding, they resent the rescinding of the offense to get more power over the one who hurt me. Huh. And so resentment says, hey, Monty, you hurt me, and uh, I'm not going to go to the soft place in my heart of coming to you and being vulnerable to you again and say, I feel hurt. It's going to become a rock I'm going to throw at you. You may not know I'm doing it because I may be smiling out here. <laughs> yeah. I'm throwing a rock at you because I'm rescinding your offense to me, huh. and I'm going to have power over you yeah. through resentment. And fear, uh, we've talked a lot about anxiety, which I'm so glad we have because it is clearly in epidemic proportions, as is yep. loneliness. Yep. And anxiety is just simply a physiological reaction to fear. It's like I'm, my body takes over, breathing and mm-hmm. hives sometimes mm-hmm. and GI distress and temperature rises and obsession and preoccupation and mm-hmm. manipulating people, changing the environment. All those things are outgrowths of not dealing with fear. As opposed to the gift we receive called wisdom and back to the pilot. Like he gets wise to the aircraft by checking things out. Yeah. And so, you know, beginning of wisdom is a fear of God. Like I, I want to discern and know more. And so when I ask questions and when I uh, come and say, I don't know, I'm, I'm afraid something's happening here. Let me know what's going on. Yeah. I get wisdom about what I'm walking into. Yeah. I, I love in James where we're given a promise. Yeah. If anyone lacks wisdom. Yes. Let him ask of God yes. who gives generously and without uh-huh. reproach. Like it's never like, what's your problem, man? Right, Don't come you know on. that? Yeah. But it's just God. It's like I just see God as a good father. He's just waiting mm-hmm. to pour it on, but we won't ask for it unless we're appropriately afraid. Yeah. Hey, I don't right. know what to do here, Lord. Yeah. I need help. Yeah, for sure. Right on. All right, guilt. Uh, guilt, guilt, we said, having caused offense or harm, it's freedom. Here's what we mean by freedom. Um, if I have caused you harm, Monty, and, and I know I have, whether you know it or not, you may not even know it. I've done you wrong somehow. Until I make confession of that guilt, I'm in bondage to the secret. Hmm. Because So telling the secret, uh, identifying and expressing, exploring, and expressing that feeling of guilt. My freedom comes in the secret is told. Hmm. And we'll look at needs in just a minute. But yep. so the freedom I get is I've told a secret. I've made confession of the harm I've caused. Yeah. And I'm free. It's in the light. In the light, as we so said, for Sunday. Yeah, great. 
Then toxic shame, uh, kind of an abbreviated definition, toxic shame is this feeling, that the condition that says, I'm just no good. I'm inadequate. I'm no good. I'm defective from the factory. No matter what I do, how hard I try, I'm still kind of limited. It's Basically, it's a despising of my humanness, a despising of my limitation, a mm. shaming of myself for my inadequacy, yep. not up to task. And it really becomes this little, almost like a hamster ball that I live in. I look out, people can see in, but they don't really know that I just see myself as this somehow mistake that God made, mm. no matter what I do. And then shame, there's your word, humility. Yeah. Uh, healthy shame says, you know, I have the, hum- the outcome is humility that, that says I ask for help. I'm conscious there are other people in the world. I have a conscience about those other people. Yeah. And I can live with empathy. Like yeah. I know what it's like to be limited. And so hmm. you come to me or someone comes to me and has a real problem with something or, or doesn't know something. Humility goes, man, I get that. I, I happen, I may know the answer to what you're asking, but there's a ton of stuff I don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and, and have all these thoughts about you being less than me. Humble people yeah. go, yeah, me too. Right on. I can help you here, but man, a lot of places I can't. Yeah. And toxic is the same. If I if I'm shame living in toxic shame because of limitations, the same as living in toxic shame because of my guilt. It seems like guilt and shame can really attach themselves to identity. Mm-hmm. So our identity is we're created in the image of God. Yes. We're full of worth and value, so much so that He would send His Son to yeah. die in our place and give us life. So that's what's true about our identity, mm-hmm. but these things say that's not true, yeah. that we are worthless, that yes. there is no value, um, and, and that's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Guilt, I made a mistake. Shame, I am a mistake. Huh. Outcome's the same. Nice. Good. Okay. Gladness, we talked about it's not a goal. Uh, joy and sadness seems like a strange combination, but we're human, and so when I experience true gladness, um, I feel joy, like I'm, I'm overjoyed. And then something in me says, it hasn't always been this way, and yeah. it's not going to stay this way. Mm-hmm. So I have some sadness underneath it yeah. uh, that says, and which is a great reminder to us that like we have great stuff on earth, and it's not our home. Mm. Everything in it has some sadness underneath it. Yeah. And then sensuality, if I don't deal with true gladness, if I don't have the true experience of gladness, Life will become a series of seeking stimulation like we talked about earlier. Okay. I'll end up, my life will be one series of sensuality without heart, lust, yeah. be trying to find something outside to make me okay. Okay. It, could you also call that a counterfeit? That, so it's not, mm-hmm. it's not those things that would genuinely create yeah. gladness. Yeah. It would be some kind of... Mm-hmm. Um, counterfeit or replace a replacement and, and those who have um who may be listening or watching uh tonight that have uh recovery formal recovery backgrounds will, will be familiar with the phrase counterfeit fulfillment huh. that addiction is counterfeit fulfillment yeah that's great anesthesia okay let's wrap up this this kind of whole construct but i want to say Again, if you have any questions that you'd love for us to interact around, again, it's, we're, we're not the answer, guys. We're just, um, it'll be some great food for thought, and we'll just talk about these things together. So if you've got uh, a question, you can text it to 615-205-4367, and uh, you can start sending those anytime. We're gonna, the last thing we're going to talk about is need. So there's... 
this last column. Tell us how that relates to everything that you've talked about up to this point. Okay. That kind of middle column under feeling. Yep. Those feelings being identified, explored, and expressed lead to these outcomes of passion acceptance. What they also do is they reveal the need underneath the feeling. And so we'll kind of run through these. When I feel angry about something, want something to be different, my need is I voice, I need to have relationships in which I can voice, I can speak the truth mm. of what I desire to be different. Can, you know, you and I personally have a friendship where we can be angry about something and we've been angry at one another and we've been angry in all different kinds of ways, but we've had voice with one another to say, mm. sure, of course you could tell me that money, of course you could tell me that feel. Yeah. So voice just says, I have relationships in which I can give voice to what I'm angry about. Okay. What I desire. Yeah. Sadness, um, we all have experienced, I hope all of us have experienced, what it's like for someone to come alongside when I'm sad. Mm. Like discomfort. The word there means, by the way, uh, the word means to be fortified. It really means to be, to be gently fortified. Mm. Comfort provides me fortification. It strengthens me yeah. just to have somebody walking, walking with me. Mm -hmm. uh, in this, just before we started tonight, I told you my, my cousin's wife, my cousin passed away. And, uh, so the cousins, we have a group on my phone texting and, uh, his response was, man, I'm just, thank you for, mm. you know, I love my family and y'all are walking with me in this. He was, we were fortifying him, huh. uh, gently, yeah. I hope with, in his, uh, her funeral was just today. Beautiful. So, um. And then the hurt, uh, you know, we children will intuitively fall off their bikes and scrape their knees <laughs> and run to the house. How come? I need someone to attend to me, mama yeah, usually. Yeah. And so attention, I've been emotionally hurt. I need someone to tend to me, tend to my garden, tend to my vineyard here mm. in my chest. Mm. Give me attention for, for my wound. Mm. Attend to my wound. Yeah. Uh, loneliness, I just have a need to be known. Said Tom Hanks' character made Wilson. Yeah freaked out when he fell off the raft you know mm -hmm. I, I i need to be known deeply by other mm. by other people yeah it's a it's a joy it's scary at times but to know that i have intimate relationships you being one of them of course to where like i'm known you know how i tick you know um, weak spots in me and mm -hmm. developmental areas and where i'm really strong in other things i know that about you yeah and so to be known is a real treasure real it's a real gift yeah that we uniquely are positioned to in the body of christ mm -hmm. paul writes about that and james writes about it yeah. Like, yeah isn't it interesting uh, i've just seen this for years and i felt it in my own life how i'm afraid of being known that's a fear but I need to be known in order to address this experience of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to believe that if you really did know me, you wouldn't love me. Yeah. Or you certainly wouldn't accept oh, me. Yeah. But, but isn't it a powerful thing if I do allow you to know me, mm -hmm. I get to see that you not only know me, but you love me for me. Yeah. You don't move away. I'm yeah. not, you're not repelled. Mm -hmm. You actually lean in mm -hmm. and uh, move toward that authenticity, that vulnerability. Yes. I, I, I do really feel this right now in this season of adversity that we're in. Um, I, I just feel like there's this great sense of like facades going up, put on a happy face. Yeah and act like there's really nothing going on mm -hmm. when we all know 
There's a lot going on, yeah. right? Yeah. And what a gift to be known that I'm affected, I'm vulnerable to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I need you in the midst of adversity. Yes. And if I allow myself that, I experience it. Mm-hmm. I get to see what it's like to, to really be comforted and cared for and encouraged, fortified, yes. all this. Yes. Sweet, sweet gifts. All right, finish totally. us up here. Yes. Um, so fear, you know, refuge, there's a, um, we had a, a hope, um, I don't say this at all to embarrass him. It was really precious. Uh, Luke was, uh, just had learned to drive and, uh, he was going to an event and he, he got lost. Uh, and, and so rather than shaming himself, it's my hometown, I'm doing lost. He called me. And he ended up in the business parking lot of some friends of ours have a sign. It was so beautiful. He's like, he, I think he may have used a word like, man, I saw so-and-so sign. It was like refuge. So he pulled over and he called me. He's nice. like, hey, I'm at so-and-so. Now, I think of that story. I was so glad that, you know, that my 16-year-old yeah. son would call me when he's in trouble. Wow. Like, hey, Dad, I'm lost. It's beautiful. And so he saw the sign of the business of our mm-hmm. friends. He had grown up with the, the son of these friends yeah. and then called me two places of refuge for him. Yeah. And uh, so that's what, when we're afraid, we need refuge. And certainly we know we have refuge in the shadow of his wings, Mm -hmm. a shadow of the Almighty. And in the body of Christ, we're made for horizontal refuge too. Yeah. Can you be a portable sanctuary for people to come and to be safe? Uh, Guilt, we talked about the freedom of confession and forgiveness is the need that's for us. We know scripturally, Mm -hmm. we got it. Mm -hmm. Jesus has already afforded it for us. We humans sometimes take longer <laughs> to do that. Yes, we do. And uh, so I, if I am, have, have guilt, I have the freedom of confession. I don't have to wait for the forgiveness of the Lord. He tells me it's available to me now. Yeah. I may have to wait for you. You may have to wait for me. Hmm. So forgiveness is a need. Again, I have these needs. It doesn't mean they're going to be filled when I want them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sure, it doesn't take away from the fact that I need it. Yeah. And then uh, shame, um, the, this, this idea of attunement. Um, it's so important. Attunement simply means I'm still with you. Hmm. And so sometimes in our shame, uh, you know, we, 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 if it's healthy, we're humble. And, and um, sometimes when it gets unhealthy, I'm in toxic shame. I need people that love me, that care about me to go, hey, man, I'm with you. You couldn't get that done. or You failed at this or you didn't know that. Yeah. But we're in this. Hmm. It's okay. Hmm. I get I, I'm, I'm with you. And it's just take it's a musical term uh, where the entire orchestra tunes off one note. Nice. And we're called as the body to tune off of one note huh. uh, yep. in unity. So, And then, uh, boy, the fun one, you know, I, we love celebration. We celebrated recently 20 years. Yes. Like we were glad. Oh. We've had all these feelings. Uh-huh. We've been here 16 of those 20. You yes. know, we've had all these feelings about uh, through the years. Our and, story. and uh, you know, we, we thought, hey, let, let's, we, we need to add on for space for our children. And, well, look here, here comes a pandemic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> How about that? But, but God has been so faithful. We're, the building's going up right yeah. behind us. So we, yeah. we celebrate those things in gladness. And mm. uh, we get to do that, get to do that together. And, it, and uh, we have a need as humans to celebrate the entire Old Testament or God's people celebrating at different times of the year. Mm-hmm. And so... We run this chart around beginning with these feelings and then if I'm going to identify, explore, and express what's going on here and tell someone, it makes all the difference. And as these are revealed, since we're telling someone, we just go all the way. Yeah. That's what we need. Love that. So helpful. Such a great framework for living Mm -hmm. in authentic relationship with each other. Yeah. 
Well, let's do this. Let's shift to some questions. And I'm going to put that number up there so that you guys can text. This is an anonymous text, so we don't know who it's coming from. But we're just going to take these questions. We've got uh, about 20 minutes uh, remaining. And we'll just take these uh, one step at a time and uh, see how far we can get here. Does that sound good, Mm -hmm. Phil? Yeah. All right. So... Um, here's what the uh, first person wrote. Am I wrong in my thinking that to deny myself includes these emotions? If I'm focusing on myself and how I feel, it's easy to be consumed with me. Yeah. What are your thoughts about yeah, that? Yeah, it's a really good, you know, <laughs> I, was, I saw that. I was already smiling. Um, I thought when I went to graduate school, I thought, man, they're going to throw some, some uh, Freud dust on me. And teach me all this stuff. I'm just going to go out there and throw that dust on other people. They're going to go, wow, Phil, you're a miracle worker. Thanks so much. (laughs) I had no idea they were just going to shake me by the ankles for for two and a half years. I was going to be put through the ringer. It makes total sense now. But one of the first questions I asked was this question. Hmm. Uh, I was in a men's group and got in school, got all enrolled, paid tuition, went to class. and go, okay, well, you'll start your men's group next week. I'm sorry. I'll start my what, what? <laughs> Your men's group. Well, no, I'm, I'm not doing a men's group. Yeah. Well, yes, you are. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you, look at me. And so uh, I went to this men's group and we were, we did a feelings check-in to start that group. And I asked that exact question. Huh. Uh, and it's that question you're doing tomorrow. So whoever sent, thank you for sending that in. Um, often when we say die to self, uh, we mistaken that to mean that I'm to die to my identity. And what we're told to deny to say we're we're told to de- to uh, die to ego, and so digging cisterns is about ego and self sufficiency and self will. It's about staying completely away from vulnerability. The well, they're gone. They're These gone. words that were up here uh, are words of vulnerability, and so the language we had on the board. Again, I so understand that question, but yes, in a way, I'm focusing on me. And the more I focus on me with this language of vulnerability, the more I recognize my great need of him. And so it's actually, it's counterintuitive at first. It was to me too. But actually focusing on what's going on in here makes, puts me in a really, really vulnerable place. And when I'm in that vulnerable place, that's when I recognize my great need for God. Hmm. And often I've been told the same thing. Like, hey, if you feel your feelings, you're focusing just on yourself. Yeah. That's true. I'm focusing on myself. And my identity in Christ is, hey, Lord, I need you. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I'm mad about this. Yeah. But that's talking about, Scripture's talking about de- dying to ego, dying to this idea you can do it on your own if you're just stoic enough. Yeah. Because what that actually is, what's being described in that question, is actually stoicism. Mm. It's a very Greek idea mm-hmm. uh, to be stoic and don't let anything get to me. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that that is a really good question that is near and dear to my heart and so often we really do think, um, we really do think uh, that uh, that it's that the opposite is true. By feeling feelings, I'm somehow yep. uh, going the wrong direction. When actually, it's my language to get to my neediness that drives me to Him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really helpful. This next question, I think, is sort of related. Uh, let me let me take a shot at this. Uh, someone's worried about. It, the question is, sometimes it can be difficult to identify what I'm feeling. And man, I, can I relate to that? Yeah. So 
um, I think we can actually get tripped up by a need for rightness rather than just a need for authenticity. Mm -hmm. So if I even go back to, if I go back to this list, I, I might look at these and especially if this is a fairly new concept for me to, to begin to name things, and that just reminds me, is it Eugene Peterson that says, what goes unnamed goes unnoticed? Yes. So what we're just trying to do is notice. And so I might even end up in a place where I go, I, I don't know which one it is here. I have a hunch, but I'm talking about it. Mm -hmm. I'm, maybe I'm getting some feedback mm -hmm. from a trusted friend. And I might be talking about fear when there's really a lot of sadness involved. But yes. I, I'm not going to discover that right. without putting some words to it. And I have found in my life <clears throat> and in my relationships, I've gotten better and better and mm -hmm. better as I just give it a shot. Yes. And so <clears throat> I think that, that would be my encouragement is at least just start with these words and the explanation or description that Phil gave us and um, just give it a shot and mm -hmm. don't even worry about, did I pick the right one at yeah. this stage? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've been, goodness, I maybe millions, hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of conversations where I've been, you've done it with me, others done it with me, where we talk about it. I start out talking about maybe I'm sad about something. Mm -hmm. And you may go, sounds like fear to me. I go, oh, yeah. I, you know, it is. Uh -huh. It's that too. And yes. so I love what you, what you said to the person that texted that in there. Like just jump on in with wherever you believe you might be. Yeah. Uh, and with someone that you trust and ask them to track with you. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Good, good, good. How do you deal with bad intrusive thoughts and getting out of that loop? Yeah. Okay. That I'm glad this is up here. Uh, I mean, not ever having done it myself. Of, oh, course, of course. Of course not. Yeah, of course. Uh, so thoughts come and when we have thoughts, we will have feelings about those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so the first question, like, there's some there, for instance, uh, in my own history, and I've said this standing up here, uh, I've had tons of anxiety around my health before. Mm. Uh, and then I've had thoughts that are lustful before. Now, those are two thoughts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they elicit different things. And so when I have my health fear, I have this thought like, I'm, I've got this terrible disease, got this terrible disease, got this terrible disease. Um, I know for sure that is fear. Mm -hmm. Like I am really, really, really afraid of that thing. Yeah. And a lustful thought, um, for example, intrusive bad thought like lust, mm -hmm. um, is a different feeling. Maybe I, maybe I feel fear that I'm thinking about that, but then the thought itself, mm -hmm. what, is, what am I dealing with there? Sometimes it'll be loneliness. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I'm going to be distracted with lust because I'm sad uh, or to get away from my guilt, pile more guilt on, you know? Yeah. So a lot of this has to do with what do I feel about the thought I'm having? Mm -hmm. uh, what is it that initiated thought in the first place? Because both of those things can be used like, um, to get me away from what's really going on that's fueling it in the first place. Yeah. And so thoughts are going to be attached to feelings. Mm -hmm. So almost like you said to the other question, like when I, when I have these intrusive thoughts, it sounded like from the, from the wording of the, um, of the question that may be repetitive, yeah. uh, intrusive thoughts, getting out of that loop 
Yeah. So it's repetitive. So, so the Holy Spirit is telling you something uh, with these intrusive thoughts. And if you make a beeline, come on, Monty said, make a beeline with whatever the nature of the intrusive thoughts are, the lustful thoughts or the thoughts of anxiety and worry. Uh, what happens when you think about uh, what feelings the loop is keeping you away from? Because yeah. loops become addictive cycles mm -hmm. uh, inside. I'm glad that word loop was in there. So yeah. um, that, that's helpful to say, okay, I'm having these thoughts. I like having these thoughts are intrusive. Yeah. And so in this loop, what is it keeping me away from thinking about? Yeah, that's good. I have been adopting a phrase just in my own thinking um, in this wonderful year of adversity. <laughs> um, and it's just simply this, truth is our friend. Amen. Truth is our friend. And so for me, regardless of what the thought is, the main thing that I want to do is I want to know is what I'm thinking true yeah. or not? Yeah. Is it in alignment with what God mm -hmm. says is mm -hmm. true or is it not? Mm -hmm. And um, I think Paul talks about taking every thought captive yeah. to the obedience of Christ. Mm -hmm. So if I have the Holy Spirit and I have God's word, man, I am equipped to take a thought on and just mm -hmm. identify, is it true or not? And if it's not true, then what I want to do is, Romans 12, I want to renew my mind. So I'm going to displace what is not true with what is true. Yeah. And then I'm going to create a new loop. Mm -hmm. I'm going to rehearse that again and again and again and again until my brain uh, begins to really respond in a healthy way mm -hmm. to what, what mm -hmm. God says is true, yeah. rather than reacting to what isn't. And that verse you quoted uh, part of, we tend to look at that verse as a tiny little word take and a huge word captive. Hmm. Take is a big word too. Hmm. Because when I take it, take something captive, I've got to grab it first. Mm -hmm. And so if I try to not think about what I'm thinking about, it's like saying, hey, don't you dare think about an ice cream cone right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I can't not do that. Yeah. And so the taking of captive means I take it first huh. and I pay attention to what's going on Yeah. and then begin to do what you talked about. Yeah, address that with, with what is true. Um, okay, ooh, I love this. Um, the yeah, spirit of the Lord, Proverbs twenty twenty seven. the spirit of a person is the lamp of the Lord searching all the innermost parts of his being. Um, elaborate on the meaning mm -hmm. of innermost parts of his being. Um, let me just start with one little phrase that I, I really do often pray. Um, the psalmist said, search me yeah. and know me. Uh -huh. And what the psalmist is saying is, I don't know me like you do. <laughs> and so I am going to need help again. I'm vulnerable. I'm needy. Um, isn't it amazing how often the people around us that actually do know us well often know more about us than we do ourselves? Oh, yeah. And so um, you can talk more about what kind of the maybe the reference of innermost, mm -hmm. but um, man, that is certainly something that I have gone to again and again and again to say, Lord, please help me see what I can't see. Yes. And uh, show it to me. That's beautiful, Monty. Um, 
that same thought, Psalm 51, mm -hmm. uh, certainly in most parts, you know, there's a preview psalm that speaks very much to what Proverbs 20, 27 is. The preview psalm, Psalm 32, is behind the scenes of Psalm 51. Mm -hmm. It's like Psalm 32 gave way to Psalm 51, this explosion of confession mm -hmm. and neediness. And Psalm 32 is kind of behind the curtain. And David says, Psalmist says in, in Psalm 32, uh, when I was quiet, my bones wasted away. If you look deeply into that meaning, he's mm. talking about what Psalm 2027 is talking about, the, the innermost parts. He's saying my Davidness, my essence. The mm. word means essence, my essence. What makes me me, how God created me, faded away. It just mm. wasted. My essence left me. My entire identity was gone yeah. because I was silent. Yeah. And so we begin to give confession to those feelings, confession to those thoughts. From that deep place, one writer called uh, a translation has a, the secret heart. In the secret heart, the deeply buried stuff in my story, the deeply buried stuff in my sin, yes, but also in my struggle, in my adversity, mm -hmm. in all those territories, I have this, this secret heart inside. And David says, hey, behind the scenes in Psalm 32, uh, when I was quiet about it, I lost myself completely. Mm. Psalm 51 is like, well, we're talking now. Yes, we and, are. <laughs> uh, and God, I'm asking you to do what Proverbs 27 is saying, go in these deepest parts where I've locked away sin mm. and locked away my own identity mm -hmm. and locked away my own neediness of you. Yeah. And I begin to talk about that, express that it unlocks what has been locked up. Yeah. And I get the confession explosion in Psalm 51. Yeah. So good. So good. So here's a real practical question. Mm. Um, how can I reach out to my parent who says I am forgiven by them, but do not contact them because we have nothing to talk about? Goodness. There definitely is a lot to talk about. Sounds like there might be a lot to talk about. Yeah, there. it sure does. Um, I, you know, I'll start with um, just some of my own experiences in that, in that context. Mm -hmm. um, it really does take two to live in relationship. Yeah. And so um, I, I have found that I can't make anyone, even a family member, yeah. really live in healthy relationship with me. And I feel sadness about that. Mm -hmm. And I feel fear about that. Mm -hmm. And I feel loneliness about that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think what I did for a long time in pursuit of relief was went after distraction or medication or whatever so that I don't have to feel the loss and the mm -hmm. disappointment and the discouragement there. Um, but it has been amazing um, really to come to terms with whatever loss there might really be, even while a family, family member is alive or even in close proximity, but, but there's that, that gap there. But to embrace that, yeah, and and to grieve it mm -hmm. in a healthy way, um, to not cultivate resentment and allow that to remain or bitterness. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, Phil, another thing that that's done for me is it's made me all the more passionate about my relationships that I do have. Yeah. So I pour into those. I think with some of the energy mm -hmm. that I would most definitely have for those relationships that are lost. Mm -hmm. But man, I just, I, I grieve that and then I give myself yes. to the relationships that are a reality for me. Which is, you said the word, which is painful 
to do that. Yeah. Because there's something in you in your story that says, hey, when I do that, no one's answering. Right. And so, you know, not knowing many details about about this story at all, um, uh, you know, the, this this idea of nothing to talk about again, generally speaking, um, the person who sent this in may need to talk to someone else about it first Mm -hmm. uh, to know even more deeply what there is to talk about and get some help with knowing how to pursue these parents or I don't know the history there or anything. But but if if there, and you you alluded to this, Monty, uh, well, you you mentioned it and allude to it. If they're unwilling to to talk about what there is to talk about, I really hope you'll talk to somebody mm-hmm. uh, about that. That sounds like quite the story yeah. that needs to be told. Yeah. It needs to tell it. And I don't want to be a broken record, but truth is our friend. Mm-hmm. And so what I always want to do is when I have opportunity, I want to speak the truth in love. Yes. I want to speak the truth with gentleness. Yes. But I want to speak the truth. And then I want to let that be the context of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, if it does turn out that it's a loss, then it's a loss. It just is. Mm -hmm. And pretending that it isn't or trying to somehow manipulate things so that it feels like something that it isn't. Yeah. That's just living in a lie. Yes. And so, uh, so much healthier to, um, man, just faithfully, that's where you can invite those people that fortify you and just say, hey, will you stand with me in this? And I am going to speak out of my need, yes. but speak the truth in love yes. and invite relationship and then see what happens. Yes. And see what happens, passion, pain. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I don't get to control it. Yeah, now, that's yeah. beautifully said, Monty. That's Thanks. so That's so true. Thanks. Risky. Yes, indeed. But isn't life all of risk? Is it not? Isn't it? Um, okay, we're getting close to uh, wrapping up here. A couple more. What kind of physical toll can living in impairment mm. take on our bodies? Oh, That's boy. interesting. It is stunning and scary research. How many physical conditions uh, health-wise are being linked to anxiety and depression? Mm. Chemically speaking, um, when we experience anxiety, we have a sudden surge of a chemical called cortisol. And cortisol is designed to be excreted in the body in bursts. It's, uh, we all know the stories of, um, you know, a 110-pound mom lifts a bookshelf yeah. off of a baby yeah. you know, when it's crushed. Right. That's a surge of cortisol that gives, like, superhuman strength. Okay. That's what it's for. Yep. It's for mamas to get heavy stuff off their babies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's for, you know, outrun something, uh, a fight or flight uh, response. Cortisol is a naturally occurring chemical that does that. So it's designed for spurts when, I need, when I'm in trouble and need to get out. Hmm. What happens in anxiety is cortisol levels, physiologically speaking, are, are chronically increased. Hmm. And that, decreased, that depresses the immune system. It keeps blood into the extremities to fight or to fly uh, away from the organs. Yep. The immune system, the cortisol causes the body to start storing fat. The body goes into panic because we're dying, we're dying, we're dying. Panics and um, they're linking that all kinds of physiological diseases to the suppression of the immune system and the suppression of the immune system being directly related to people out of relationship and all the, 
all the, the uh, chemicals we do need for that and yep. the high levels of cortisol of being in isolation and being scared, but no way to identify and express it. So wow. it is a huge, it is a huge toll. Um, there, there is now they're beginning to combine mu to particular types of music mm -hmm. that can literally regulate your body. We, Sheila and I did this. Hmm. We're at home. There was a, I saw an article that the um, Marconi Union, if you want to listen, that's called, uh, I believe it's called Motionless. Okay. They created an eight-minute instrumental. And I didn't tell Sheila what I was doing. I just said, hey, watch this and just see what happens. Huh. She said, I felt my heart rate go down. And the article said, it makes your heart rate go down. <laughs> and that she wasn't cued in what was going on. But we, what we take in and how we, even how we breathe and cortisol levels and dopamine levels and serotonin levels, all those chemicals, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, yeah. they, either, they either increase our immune system as God has made us or they decrease it. And mm. so the physiological toll is huge. Yeah, yeah, such a close connection. And then I less internally, but in terms of our choices, our volition, if we are seeking after relief, many times we'll find that in physical places oh, yeah. of every kind, yeah. taking things into us and onto us that are unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And um, again, they can continue to affect us physically. Yeah. And uh, e Even deprivation. Uh, eating disorders, mm -hmm. uh, deprivation yeah. has the same effect going the opposite direction. Yeah. Deprivation yeah. as opposed to excess. Right. Um, all right, let's wrap up with this one. Um, really like it. I feel like mm -hmm. I've never been able or perhaps willing to feel anger for things I need to be angry for. I feel stuck in depression and not able to access that anger. Where do I go from that place? Um, my, my first thought is, like, this has been so helpful tonight. Again, just to, if I, f if I feel something and I can't put a label on it, but I just lost a relationship, let's say, mm -hmm. then in some way, sort of by faith, I'm going to go, I'm just going to call that sadness. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and, you know, and then I'm sure. going to try to live in a way that leads me to this place of gift. And we can apply that all the way down the line. So my first thought as I read that is it may be that this person and maybe many of us just need to sort of give ourselves some permission to try at some stuff mm -hmm. and knowing that we're not going to do it very well. Just honestly, personally, Kimberly, early, early on in our marriage, she's like, I need to know what's going on in here. And I, I just didn't process stuff out here. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do it all in here. Mm -hmm. I get it all nice and cleaned up and refined and shiny. And then, <laughs> and then I present it on a silver platter. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want the silver platter. Intimacy killer. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, just, I just want the raw stuff, mm -hmm. unrefined. Yeah. And recognizing it, that there will be times when it doesn't come out very well, um, I, I, like I might need to apologize or I might need to just say I, I just missed that or whatever. But, man, we are so afraid of doing it wrong. Yeah. And it keeps us from doing it at all. That's right. And so hard. What, what would you say? Let, wrap us up here. I am not saying this flippantly at all. Yeah. This text is an example of what you do. This huh. is a very angry thing to nice. do. Nice. That's awesome. Going after something. Yes. Like, all right. Okay. I got a question. Right. 
and you, know, you shame yourself. Well, it was anonymous. And it doesn't matter. That's right. This is in terms of classic. This is an angry thing, so to speak. Like, so thank you for sending that. Follow your own lead, uh, even daring to ask that question. Um, let me give you something very practical. Mm. And I do this on occasion if I find myself kind of this time, well, this not a fancy word for low-level depression. Um, anger is associated with the word want. And what depression does, depression says wanting is not worth it. So just don't want anymore. Pull yourself mm. out a journal and write down things that no one has to see but you to begin with, things that you want beyond I want to not be depressed. Uh, start there and then go from there with no filters and find someone you trust to dare to tell them what you want in life. I don't mean in terms of carnal, uh, I want a bunch of my, I want this. I mean, like, what do you want as a human? Hmm. What are you really, truly after? And that word want is a word that's attached to passion because wanting means I'm signing up to experience the pain of not getting. Yeah. And so I said, I'm so glad you sent that. I'm yeah. serious. That text is a big deal. That's fantastic. Even send that. Yeah, that's good. Well, it is eight o'clock, man. Uh, flew by. Yeah. But thank you so much for uh, chatting with me. And um, man, what a what a gift. So many good things to take away. Um, my encouragement, I think, for anybody that is watching is um, th there's a whole lot here, my goodness. And um, this is going to be available on our website, so you can go back there, I think, on our YouTube channel and mm -hmm. our Facebook page. Um, so you can go back and, and see it again at other times if that's helpful. But, uh, man, I would say try to at least identify one thing, one idea, one next step that you can take Again, recognizing that we're, we're in a, a season of um, great brokenness. And not that this world isn't always broken, but we're feeling it in a, in a special way right now. So um, find that one thing. And then I want to encourage you to find one person that you can just talk about. Talk about what this was like for you tonight. Talk about that one thing that you're taking away and maybe that one thing that you'd like to do in response to what you've heard. And just start there. Uh, life change is a way of life. Like mm. we're still doing it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, this is just another opportunity for a next right step. So um, could you pray for us I will. and finish this up, Phil? Sure. Thanks. Father, thank you for uh, the gift of heart. Thank you for... Uh, that you are so intensely relational that even word tells us that before anything existed, you existed in three persons and still do in relationship. And you put us in the body of Christ together to be in relationship with one another. You've given us a language inside of us that really gets to the nitty gritty of vulnerability and the gospel call is to cry out in neediness and that you are faithful to answer. And that we thank you for your faithfulness and Lord, the uh, pandemic did not catch you by surprise. Mm -hmm. You don't have a contingency plan. You, you are the plan. You mm. are, have all things in hand. And uh, so I pray that tonight's time together would uh, be uplifting and exalting to your name and that we would ultimately know that the words we use to describe the contents of our hearts lead us to you, to greater recognition of our neediness for you. And I cry out to you as we bond together in the body that we would do that separately 
uh, and as a body of Christ, uh, seeking relationship with one another and with you. So thank you for uh, all wisdom that has come from you. Uh, all truth has come from you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thank you that you're the grantor of those great gifts to us to share with one another tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.